Hello, and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with book lovers from across the province and territory. My guest for this episode is an author of poetry, creative nonfiction, and as you'll hear, he's now working on a fiction project. Here he is to introduce himself. So my name is Jordan Abel. I'm a queer Niska writer from Vancouver. Currently, I'm in Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, where I uh, teach creative writing and research creation and Indigenous literatures at the University of Alberta. I've written four books to date, I think. Uh, the first three were poetry, and the the latest one, Nishka, is a work of creative nonfiction. And the the next project I'm working on is uh, is a work of of fiction. So I guess I'm, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm a, a multi multi genre author. <laughs> Nishka is a finalist for the 2022 Hubert Evans Nonfiction Prize and the 2022 Roderick Haig Brown Regional Prize. In our conversation, Jordan talks about the expansiveness of genre and how writing Nishka impacted how he thinks about home. Jordan starts our conversation with a reading from Nishka. A Deep Narrow Chasm black rocks. The river lies still on those black rocks. A mile above, there is a tumbling. At this very moment, there is a tumbling in the air that runs straight through the open heavens into some other place. A deep hollow, no shape, no consistency, no breaking some hundred feet in the air. Some places are softer than others, some hundred feet up in the air. Some right angles enter into narrow passageways and some right angles break off a mile in the air above us. These rocks are full of cracks. Water has worked through some deep hollows, breaking here, wearing there, breaking and wearing until the chasm separates into two caverns. Some hundred feet in the air, there is no danger. There is scattered driftwood and the scent of roses, There are glimpses of roses and rocks and shrubs. There is a steep, rugged ascent, a path that winds among the black rocks and trees. Somewhere in the air, there's the scent of roses. Somewhere out there is the wilderness, a reasonable distance through scenes of greenery and nature and glimpses of mountain ranges that disappear just as suddenly as they appear. Among the rocks and trees, there are mounds of earth and other rocks and other driftwood. Somewhere there is an islet and another islet and a clear sheet of water and bald rocks just beneath the surface. There are forests and straits and islets and rocks and somewhere in the air is the scent of roses. There are crevices and fissures and rocks. The rocks surround themselves and other rocks, although there are sometimes mounds of earth in between. On the shore, there are fragments of rocks and the deeper parts of the river, there is more tumbling. At this very moment, the river pours into a wide fissure where it just becomes more water between rocks. 
Between the broken rocks and the deep roaring cavern, there is the scent of roses and driftwood and trees. There is light and straight naked rocks and immovable trees. There are woods and rivers, and the bed of that river is ragged with rocks and intersecting ravines that cut suddenly across the water above, where somewhere in the air is the scent of roses. The woods are full of sounds and rocks and trees. The woods are full. The upper air, where it drifts over the tops of trees, is full of sounds. Just where it breaks over the tops of trees, there are slow intermingling drifts of sounds and scents that brush over the clearing some 50 or 60 feet up in the air. Rocks and logs and mounds of earth and narrow fissures and bottom land and little ponds and a brook that shoots through the narrow fissures spreading through moments after moments of stretched light. There is a bellowing in the passageways between the rocks. There are moments of admonished madness. There are moments spreading over the acres of bottomland. There are precipices and adjacent lakes and headwaters. There is a fierceness here that floats through the waters. These rivers are full to the brim. These waters stream down to our feet. In six hours, these waters will rush in. And in another six hours, these waters will rush out. Salt grows in this water. The water in the woods and on the Great Lakes and in the higher parts of the sea, stretching out horizontally until the current flows upward like blood at the throat. On these waters, the edges touch the shores and the deer paths trace back to the streams. In the short distance in between the water and the black rocks is a deep shadow. The breath of the stream, the glancing waters, the throat of the river, these woods are full. Gliding above, somewhere up in the impenetrable darkness is the scent of roses. Somewhere there is the sound of rushing waters ringing through the deep stillness of the night. The moon rises and the light glances here and there on the water and down to the riverbed. At times, the light hangs in the air on the breath of the river. There are dark waters, there is night, this is the unmingled sweetness of air that sinks into the foaming waters. These are the vaults of forest. There is a stillness here somewhere in the wilderness. There is lightning and then there is stillness. There are echoes that rush through the forest until they disappear. A mile above there is a tumbling. In the foaming waters there is the color of blood gushed from some other place, some other throat, some other softer place. Some waters carry the dead. Somewhere up in the air there's the scent of roses. Some flames last forever. Some waters thicken with limbs and bodies and trembling voices. Some waters are still. Somewhere in the velocity of the uproar there's a current of air, an unmingled sweetness that sinks into the forest. The narrow path adjacent to the brook is full of bodies, the blood as natural as water. My my first question is uh, an odd one. I warn people that it's odd, but I, I always like to ask a kind of icebreaker question. And so my icebreaker question for this season is, if you could read one book or watch one TV show for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? 
that's that's such a good that's such a good question. I think you know I I, I want to choose more than one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I so badly want to choose more than one. I know I know my my good friends Kevin Spence would say uh, Finnegan's Wake by by James Joyce uh, and. And we've had so many discussions about that book and, you know, I still find it incredibly perplexing, but also invigorating and, and interesting. And there's so much in there that I've never been able to, to dive into or break apart because it's so incredibly dense and, uh, you know, and full of so many references you know to to an ireland of another time and a dublin of another time that i'll never i'll never crack open but i thought that you know if i only have one book that one you know might allow me that you know if if i if i have endless time (laughs) and the one book you know that that might be the one that i could spend the most time with um but i i think you know and i think another answer you know might make more sense i you know, I'm on, honestly like I'm 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 much more much more interested in in comic books these days than I ever have been. So, you know, I think you know does does X Men count as one book? <laughs> <laughs> the the whole the whole volume. I would I would I would happily read that indefinitely. And and right now X Men is so interesting. I. I, I've been telling everyone who will listen to me that X Men is the the is one of the most indigenous comics I've I've read recently, and and it's because there's the in the last couple of years there's some major shifts that have happened with X Men, and one of the new characters they introduced is a character called Krakoa, who's uh, who's an island, like it's a, a they mutant character is literally an island and a landform that all of these x-men live on now <laughs> uh and a big part of the comics is about uh being in relation to the land and understanding how to speak to the land and also you know how to exist in reciprocity with the lands and i just i find it so compelling right now that you know any, anything x-men have been really devouring of late that's super interesting yeah i uh i really love it you know and and x-men has been uh you know has been to to many different kinds of areas you know before this moment but but this moment in particular i've I've found really fascinating yeah well i actually have a comic book related question uh coming for you but um i want to start (laughs) i want to start by I, I was listening to you chat about uh, Nishka, and and you talked about it being a lifelong project. And you're not a an old person, um, <laughs> so I, I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering, like, why you know you've like you said you've written these other works of poetry, um, and it seems like a lot of that writing and research came together in this book. But why did it feel like the time to write Nishka? Yeah, that so that that's a that's a very complicated question, actually, or you know, has a complicated answer. So, you know, I I've described it as a lifelong project because the the questions 
the questions that are at the core of the project have been with me my entire life. And so if you've, if you've had a chance to, to read Nishka or, you know, just glance at it so far, I, I don't think I'm, I'm spoiling anything, <laughs> but the, the questions are, are pretty close to the, the questions that I'm thinking about are, are pretty close to the beginning of the book. And they're the questions about uh, what, what does it mean to be indigenous? What does it mean to be Nisca, but to have been displaced from my home territory? Uh, what does it mean to be an urban indigenous person? What does it mean to be an intergenerational survivor of residential schools? Uh, all, all of those questions, you know, are, are tied together, of course. Um, and, and those are, those are questions that I've really, you know, struggled with since I was, you know, since before I was able to articulate them. And those are the questions that, that guide, guide the book. So, you know, when I, when I say that it's a lifelong project, I mean that I've been attempting to answer these questions in my entire life and that Nishka is just, you know, a moment in which I've written some of those answers down. And, you know, I think, I think potentially, you know, this was, this would be a project or a book, like uh, this would be, uh, those questions, you know, could be explored at a later time, you know, and I, and I, you know, I think that's, the reason why I wrote the book when I did was in part because of some other external pressures. <laughs> uh, the main one being a PhD student at the time. Uh, and, you know, I was in this very particular position where I would proposed this project that was completely unrelated to Nishka when I was doing my PhD and I was interested in it. Um, and like, I was, I was really interested in it, uh, in an academic way. And, and I kind of realized that, you know, it, there were some issues with the project that I couldn't overcome in the time span of the PhD, uh, that it would just, you know, take a longer time to do that project than, uh, than I had originally imagined. And, and I, and I had to come up with something else. Uh, and, and the other thing, like there's two other projects that I kind of had on the go. And one of them was empty spaces, which is that project that I, I read, read to you at the beginning, um, the poem I shared. And, and the other one was this untitled book about intergenerational trauma. And, and I really felt like I, I looked at both of the projects and, really thought about what would make the most sense to do during my PhD. And I felt like the book about intergenerational trauma made more sense uh, to do in that space because it was more connected to some of the indigenous studies uh, writing that I was thinking alongside. And, and so I decided to proceed forward with that. And, you know, once, once I started down that path, it was difficult to, uh, to backpedal and <laughs> to switch focuses. So I just, I, I kind of ended up committing to it on paper and then I had to follow through. Uh, and in retrospect, it was really not, not the best decision for me, I think, <laughs> uh, because, it, you know, and, and maybe this is, uh, it, it probably isn't too much information or anything, but, you know, I really found this book to be a very difficult one to to write and to, uh, and to engage with because the subject matter is just so heavy and so personal and, 
and so wounding in, in so many ways that I was not expecting. So I, I chose that time, you know, by accident, kind of, <laughs> you know, I chose that timing, you know, to write the book. But I, I, I imagine, you know, I, you know, could have res- continued to wrestle with these questions and, you know, answered them at some, some later points in my life too. And that that might've been a different book. Uh, and, you know, and, and they're questions that, you know, don't come to any full resolution at the end. So, so potentially there's more, more work to be done um, as well at, at, a, at a later point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the long answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that really speaks to one of the, the major, I mean, this leads into my next question, but you know, on the, on the book, shelf when I when I bought your book at Monroe's when it came out it was among the memoirs um and I'm always fascinated by the boxes that we put books in because you know I think your book defies what we think of as memoir um and I I am so inspired by those who write memoir that are constantly pushing that boundary outward because I think we need to do that But I think, you know, what you were saying about those unanswered questions, it just speaks to one of the challenges of writing memoir, because I don't think we can ever fully come to those, like, the answers to those questions, because some of them are the questions we wrestle with for our our whole lives. And I, I, I wonder what you think of Nishka being called a memoir and and what you think of a memoir and the direction that it's it's going. I talked to Billy Ray Belcourt about this, too, because I, I was so kind of captivated by his book being called a memoir totally. as well. Yeah, I, I think about this all the time. <laughs> uh, I really... Um, yeah, I, I love that uh, you had that conversation with Billy Ray to uh, a history of my brief body, you know, is such a such a profound, profound work, you know, and one that that also totally defies those uh, conventions of, of memoir and, you know, I think, you know, mo- moves towards you know, move, move t- moves towards something else, <laughs> you know, that is is less easily defined. And I, I'm really into that. You know, when I, when I talk to my students about, about genre, the place that I start is, is by saying that I'm a multi-genre writer and, and that my, my work, you know, often, often includes work of, of multiple, multiple genres, you know, sometimes side by side, sometimes, you know, entwined together. Uh, and that, genre as we imagine it as like a, a singular contained entity with like clear boundaries is not not a real thing <laughs> uh and you know i think you know depending on who you're talking to you know sometimes you can get uh a lot of pushback on that and you know i i come from a mainly poetry background where you know po- poetry is one of those really interesting genres that that really can contain multitudes and, and very few people want to police the boundaries of what is or isn't poetry. Uh, although some, some do, <laughs> uh, you know, but if you, if you talk to novelists, for example, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, those, those conversations, you know, get very quickly wrapped up in, you know, what, what a novel is or isn't. And, you know, I, I, I always like to think, expansively about about genre and i really do think that 
you know, writing can take on many forms and, you know, many different dimensions. And, and Nishka certainly does, I think, you know, when I, when I think about it, when I think about the genres that that work includes, create, creative nonfiction and memoir are, are definitely in there, you know, but, but so, but so is, is poetry, uh, so is photography, you know, so is, you know, con- concrete poetry, as well as as academic writing, which is you know totally uh, its own thing as well, and and I, I see that work as 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 holding all those pieces together, uh, in part because of those central research questions, you know that I that I talked about a little bit earlier, you know, I, and I, I think attempting to answer those questions, like it, attempting to answer you know, what does it mean to be Indigenous? You know, what does it mean to be an urban Indigenous person? You know, what does it mean to be an intergenerational survivor of residential schools? I, I think, you know, those those questions are really complicated and slippery and ones that don't have easy, direct answers. And so I, so my feeling was that in order to attempt to address those questions as fully as I was capable of, it required me uh it, it required it required that i that i i switch forms and attempt to come at the question from a from a new angle uh or always come at the question from a new angle and and that really uh you know that was really you know the the, the mechanical side of of writing the book you know is was trying to think about how to how to address the complexities you know uh in in those answers um, in a way that was honest and and transparent and and fair and, and sometimes that just meant uh, repositioning archival documents you know for example for the reader to encounter or it meant you know writing a short piece of of memoir reflecting on a particular moment in my life or it meant visually engaging with my dad's art you know or or it meant you know taking my own photographs you know and and you know all of those all of those different genres you know were 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 wrapped wrapped up in this in this problem-based approach um so so yeah to circle back to an earlier part of your question you know how do i feel about the work you know being labeled as memoir uh, I, I totally feel fine about it, you know, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, part, part of the reality, I guess, of, you know, pu- publishing and, and capitalism maybe is that, you know, we have to have a, a place to to put the book in the bookstore, <laughs> you know, and it's helpful for that, you know, to be, you know, one, one label. Um, but, but I don't, I, I guess, you know, I guess my response is that I, I don't feel contained by by memoir and and i feel like you know the work you know moves moves past that in some ways or moves through it or around it (laughs) you know and 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 i and i think that's that's really interesting uh and i i think i think others do too um and you know that's always been a feeling that i've tried to hold on to is that you know, if I find something really interesting and engaging, then uh, then that might translate to to other other folks to encounter that work. Yeah, it does. It does really seem like we're at a point with memoir where um, 
it does it does seem like we're moving through it in a way like we're we're moving beyond what we thought of memoir being to something really exciting like I feel excited when I read books like Nishka when I read books like um, Billy Ray's or Danielle Geller's Dog Flowers or like there's so many and books that are even you know on the poetry shelf that I would say sit kind of next to memoir so yeah it's a really interesting time for the genre and for writing and for storytelling absolutely yeah you know I think uh you know it, it really does feel like there are there are so many people doing incredible you know really nuanced complicated you know interesting you know interesting projects (laughs) you know that it 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 feels like uh yeah it it feels like an incredible wealth you know to to encounter all of those different projects you know and to and you know to exists in a world where they're they're possible because I, I can totally imagine you know at previous moments where they they might not be possible <laughs> yeah I want to ask my my comic book <laughs> related question sure. um but but one of one of the things that I noticed while reading Nishka was um there were moments where it felt like I was being called almost to look at it like I would some graphic novels where you're looking for that inter-panel meaning um, that there's something happening in the white space between between the the writing and the images that you're placing there for us to engage with. And um, how did you navigate what to give the reader and what to hold back in like engaging with that kind of inter-panel meaning? Yeah, so... Uh... I, I really, uh, I really thought a lot about how the reader would encounter each each page and each series of pages, like each uh, each page and each subsequent page. <laughs> so I was re- I was really interested in thinking about, um, you know, how how one might move between between and across and and through those those white spaces and the and and you know across the spine of the book too um and and that was really uh yeah that was a really intuitive process you know where i um would would line up different different materials side by side you know and, and try to see if there was any resonance or you know any uh you know any interplay you know between let's say like a, like a, a concrete, concrete image, you know, and an archival document, or um, yeah. And, an an excerpt of a, of an artist talk and, uh, and, and a photo or, or something. Uh, and I really, you know, yeah, I really thought a lot about how, how those moments spoke to each other. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that comes up all the time when I talk about Nishka is that, uh, you know, it's it's inevitable that we get to this moment where I, or where, where there's you know some some discussion about uh, the chronology and uh, and and it's a, a book that's that's not presented in a in a linear order, uh, and and I think that's totally uh, th- totally a strength of the book, <laughs> uh, and you know, part of the way that that came about is that I, I had so many different multiple starting points for the book. And, 
that's a difficult thing to have when you have a linear order. <laughs> uh, and it's, it doesn't usually, you know, in a, in, you know, linear uh, chronology, you know, you, you just have the one starting point, you know, you start at the beginning, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and I guess in this case, you know, the beginning of my life or before the beginning of my life. And, and that didn't make sense to me. Um, so I was immediately confronted with this issue of, you know, how to, how to sequence and how to order things. Uh, and, and there were certain things that I, I was really interested in, in, in leading with, or, you know, certain moments I wanted to get to sooner than later. And, and I also wanted the book to be one that the reader could, could move through fairly seamlessly uh, so that, you know, they would be compelled or enticed to, to turn the page, <laughs> so to speak, uh, which I, I, you know, is, is something that I think about a lot. Uh, and, and I, I think, you know, may, maybe I, I, yeah, you know, maybe I, I think about it too much. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, but that, that was, you know, at the forefront of my mind is, you know, like trying to, trying to position these moments as well as, you know, trying to open up space for the reader to encounter something visual. So there's very often this like oscillation between the textual and the visual that happens throughout the work that was, uh, yeah, that was really, uh, you know, an important rhythm for me to, for me to uh, create, I guess. Um, And yeah, you know, I think it's really interesting that you, uh, that you wanted to read it like a, like a graphic novel, you know, and to, to think through it in that kind of visual space. And my, my former mentor, uh, Sophie McCall at, at SFU often, I, I guess she often teaches my work in a graphic novel course <laughs> and, and setting. And so, you know, there must be, yeah, there, you know, there must be something, something happening there. <laughs> you know, I, I guess it's, I guess it's about visual reading or, or l- languages and grammar of like visual reading that, that my work is, is tapping into, you know, in a way that, uh, you know, I've never really articulated, but, you know, must is 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 kind of there in part because I include images regularly as part of as part of the the text <laughs> as part of you know the substance of the book. I think it's also like I, I'm reading um, Bloodroot by Betsy Warland right now, and and she engages a lot with um, white space too. And I'm always interested in this because I think there should be more of it in uh in all genres of writing oh totally Um, (laughs) but I I think you know it it's that with the gutters and and the white space in um graphic novels there is kind of that space to think about what happens in between the the images and so in in poetry and also in in books like Nishka and Bloodroot you have that time to think of what happens in between the writing that maybe we don't have when there's not that that space totally yeah I think that that space is really valuable and uh and I'm I'm really 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 into it (laughs) really into creating those moments where you pause as a as a textual or as like a prose-based reader you know and like and and shift into that other other kind of reading you know where there's more more reflection allowed perhaps but it also reminds me of a really interesting conversation i had recently with uh with a writer 
um, Caitlin Purcell, who is saying that she uh, she's very interested in in writing. Uh, I think she she called them um, ADHD poems. <laughs> you know, where like they would just like you know take the take these you know four or five sentences or something. You know, something that's you know very small and just and consumable in some ways. You know, and allowing that to you know, uh, allowing that to take up a whole page so that you can, you know, have, have the time to take it in and then also reflect on it, you know, and, and, and not be overwhelmed by, by text. Yeah. I, when I talked to uh, Ivan Coyote a couple years ago, when Rebent Sinner came out, um, they have some of those moments where there'll be like a sentence or two on the page. And I remember Ivan called them uh, literary Doritos. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I love that so much. <laughs> I, I hadn't I hadn't heard that. I will totally go back to that book and with a with a new you know Dorito finding eye. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those delicious snacks that are just yeah. in there. I'm I'm also I'm wearing my Taco Bell shirt today, so now I'm just thinking about Doritos tacos. <laughs> Snack time is coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. There's so many things that I, I I wanted to talk to you about, and I, I know you've talked a lot about the themes in the books and those questions that kind of drove it forward. Um, but one of the questions that I had was kind of around um, the dispossession of Indigenous people that you spoke to in the book and, and of um, urban Indigenous communities. And it seems like there was a real, like, pull of home in the book and what home looks like when our connections to place and the places that should be home um, are torn apart or lost. And I wonder how you define home these days and, and did your ideas of home change in writing Nishka? Yeah, they, they did. They, they really did. I, you know, when I, when I started writing the book um, or, you know, when I started actively, you know, trying to work on the project, um, which is which is different, I guess, in my mind from you know starting the pursuit of those questions. Uh, I, so I when I did so, I I wrote a proposal uh, for for my graduate committee, <laughs> uh, and and you know one of the things that you know that 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 proposal um, called for you know was was a was a was a return to or you know an engagement with um you know my my grandparents home community and and that was uh that was a thing that I just you know really desperately wanted to do and and really you know like it it felt like that was the only pathway for for the book was for me to return return home in some ways uh and and through the process of of writing the book, you know that that goal shifted. <laughs> you know it it shifted to, um, you know to to become less about going going, and it, it's so weird, you know, because I I would talk about it. I would, you know it's so weird to talk about because I would you know say like I need to go back to this place that I've never been to before, <laughs> you know, and how, and of course, how can you go back there, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and so, you know, I feel like that was, you know, that was a thing that I really wanted to, wanted to deal with in some ways. Uh, and, 
And what ended up happening is, you know, the more I, the more I dug in and the more research that I did and the, 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 like the further I, I ventured, you know, into this project, the more it became clear to me that, um, that, that whatever that place was, you know, for me, it was not, not a, a physical geographical place, you know, that I had imagined and it was something else. Uh, and, and one that, you know, I really had to, had to, had to think about and reflect on. And, you know, I think, you know, the conclusion that I, I came to, you know, in, at the end of the book, you know, was one that, you know, I, I still, I still think about, and, you know, one that I, I feel like I've also, I've also moved on from a bit, you know, which is to say that, um, you know, the, and maybe I'll just rephrase the conclusion here, which is to say, uh, at the end of Nishka, I say that, you know, there is, uh, you know, there's goals that I have had for this project that I didn't, uh, I, I didn't complete, uh, and that it, and that it, it feels like an unfinished work. Um, and, and I think since that, since that moment, I, I have really reflected on it. And, and I, I think, you know, the, whatever, whatever, you know, concept of, of home, you know, that I was, I was thinking about or that, you know, made sense to me um, throughout the writing process of the book has, has, has again, totally shifted. And, and in, in large part uh, because uh, of the uh, addition of, of my daughter to my family, <laughs> you know, and I think, you know, she's really, um, you know, she's born in Edmonton, you know, so again, displaced from, you know, her territory. And, and also, you know, this is, this is kind of home for us, you know, because it's at the, at, at this space between, you know, my, my partner's family and my family, and we have, you know, we have other, we have other roots, you know, in this community. And I, I think that, you know, the, yeah, the the way I'm thinking through through home totally had changed, <laughs> you know, after after uh, Phoenix, uh, yeah, came into our lives, and you know, I, I think that's that's the thing that I'm continuing to think about and continuing to reflect on, and I I don't know if I've you know come to any conclusions, <laughs> uh, but but all, all all I know is that you know things have shifted yet again. <laughs> That was Jordan Abel. In his book, Nishka is a finalist for the 2022 Hubert Evans Nonfiction Prize and the 2022 Roderick Haig Brown Regional Prize. Now, if you would like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, you can visit our website, bcyukonbookprizes.com. We also share lots of stuff about upcoming events and other information about our finalist authors on our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Next time on Writing the Coast, you'll hear my conversation with Matt Rader. Matt's book, Ghost Hawk, is a finalist for the 2022 Dorothy Livesay Poetry Prize. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast. <laughs>